<laughs> Would you pray with me, please? Father, as we come to your word together today, uh, there are so many things to discover, so many things to understand. Help us to uh, just get to the heart of what you want to say to us today, that this passage of scripture, which is uh, so full and so rich, uh, that we would not be overwhelmed by that, but that we would see exactly what you want us to see as your children and how you want us to live as your children. Um, Help me, Lord, to get out of the way and to just allow your word to ring out in truth, simplicity today. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, growing up, I never thought that I looked much like my father. Of course, he seemed a lot taller to me than I was, a lot older. And besides, Dad had hair on his chest, and that just didn't seem right. I just didn't see the similarity between my father and me. Of course, it didn't help much that my older brother kept telling me that I was adopted. (laughs) I don't know how many times he said that to me. You're adopted. You don't even belong to the rest of us. Thanks a lot, Jim. And even after I reached adulthood, I didn't see any resemblance between me and my father. Now that I'm getting older, however, I see all kinds of resemblances. It's just amazing to me how similar we truly are. And you know that I'm not 92 like he is, but I see the similarities. We have the same body type, similar teeth, the same hairline, same facial hair, and excuse me for mentioning the same chest hair. You'll have to trust me on that one. What's more? We have the same smile, the same laugh. We even have some of the same habits which can drive people around us crazy, my wife in particular. Like when we want to see something up close, we wrinkle up our noses so that our glasses get up where we can see in the smaller lens, like that. Drives Jane crazy when I do that. I learned that from Dad, though, so it's a good thing. Thankfully, I also remember my dad's demeanor, his temperament, both of which I really admire. And also, we laugh at the same jokes. We have some of the same interests. In fact, many of them, we love to build things. We love to repair just about anything that gets broken, if we can. So what am I saying here? I'm saying that my father's imprint is on me. (laughs) It's all over me. Who and what he is is reflected in me. Almost almost a mirror image sometimes. It's kind of scary. But it's also really neat, really gratifying. And it's quite all right with me because I admire my dad about as much as any human being I know. <laughs> so I'm glad I'm becoming like a man like that. And here's a question for all of us then today. How much do we resemble God? If we're as children, how much do we look like our father? Is God's imprint all over us? When we hear that a young couple has a new baby, we often ask, who does she look like, her father or mother? You know, we haven't seen her yet. We haven't made up our own determination yet. And when we get there, we say, does she look more like dad or like mom? Do we look like God? Do we look like God? 
Now, how are we supposed to look like God? How can we show that we are God's children? Since God is spirit, no one knows exactly what he looks like, although a lot of four-year-olds will try and tell you, I'll draw you a picture of God, and they think they know. We look like God, however, when we behave as God behaves, when, when we do the same kinds of things that God does. We look like God when we have his attitudes, and when we have his interests and his desires. Well, how can we possibly do that? How, how can we look like God, almighty God? He's perfect. He never does anything wrong. And sometimes we think, well, we just have to try harder, and, and we get ourselves in this mode. We'll just work harder. We'll be more legalistic about it, and we'll, we'll just strive more than we've ever striven before. And that's not the answer. The truth is, we only have the power to live like God when we surrender to him, when we draw closer and closer to him. And we find out when we do that that we can grow to be like God when we live with God, when we live in God. In John 15, you remember Jesus talked about the vine and the branches? He said that he's the vine, we're the branches, remember? And he said that we have to abide in him. We must remain in him if his life is to flow through us into this world. As branches connected to the vine, our responsibility is not to come up with the fruit. Our responsibility is not to produce the fruit ourselves. Our responsibility is to stay connected to the vine so that his life can be lived in us. If we make it our mission to stay close to God then, to abide in him, his life will be naturally reproduced in our lives. I want you to think about that today, whereas we talk about being the children of God. Now, we're studying 1 John. We'll also be looking at 2 and 3 John eventually. But 1 John, we come to the third chapter, our text for today. And here John writes about the children of God and the qualities, the characteristics of what children of God look like if they look like God. How do we know if someone is God's child? That's what John talks about in this third chapter. Now, it's a big thing to, to discuss in one sermon. It's 24 verses, a whole chapter. I don't know if I've ever preached on a whole chapter like that. But I just want to divide it into three quick sections, and not go exhaustively through every verse, but three sections of Scripture and what John talks about in each section. It looks like this. 1 John 3, 1 through 10. If you have characteristics of God, you live in purity not in sin. Verses 11 through 18, you love people the way God does. In other words, you love them sacrificially. And finally, in the 19 through 24, we must believe in and live for Jesus. And John talks about living and abiding in Jesus. And that's kind of why I wanted to start with the John 15 verses of the vine and the branches. If we are God's children, then we are living in such a way that we don't seek our own desires. We seek whatever God's want. We show that we belong to him and that we are like him. And when we are God's children, we are filled with the love of Christ and we love people the way God loves people. And when we do these things, God is living in us and you know, other people are going to notice there's something different about us. So let's look at these three things rather briefly. First of all, characteristic of a child of God is that they live in purity, not in sin. And we've already seen this a few places, but John picks up this theme again. 
And when we talk about purity, we're not talking about moral perfection, where we magically become a person who never sins. That's not going to happen. We'll only get frustrated trying to make it happen to live perfectly. There are going to be occasions when we're going to sin. We don't need to beat ourselves up about that and, and say, well, we've ruined it for good. God thinks now that we're worthless. It's not the case. When we're living as God's children, we are not sinning routinely. We are not sinning habitually. Remember John said earlier, we are not continuing in sin. So this ongoing action of sin. But when we do sin, we repent of that sin and we learn to not keep repeating it. So let's read from 1 John 3, 1 through 10. How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. Just stop for a moment there. How great is God's love. He lavished it on us. I mean, it just it poured over us. It just saturated us. That he would call us his children. We have no business being God's children. But that's what he's decided to call us. That's what he's decided to make us. And that is what we are. You can see John just you know, breaking out in a smile. That's what we are. We are the children of God. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Dear friends, now we are children of God. And what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. Everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself, just as he is pure. Everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. But you know that he appeared so that he might take away our sins. And in him is no sin. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. Dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. He who does what is right is righteous. Just as he is righteous, he who does what is sinful is of the devil, because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. No one who is born of God will continue to sin, because God's seed remains in him. He cannot go on sinning, because he has been born of God. This is how we know who the children of God are, and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not a child of God, nor is anyone who does not love his brother. Did you see John's emphasis on living in purity, not in sin? Now we are the children of God. Uh, that word now, I underlined it because I thought, okay, we have been transferred. We've been given a new identity. We've been given a new uh, place, a new position in this world. Now we are the children of God. And someday we're going to be totally like Jesus. Because we're going to see him just as he is, John says. But we're not there yet. That's where we're headed. That's what's going to happen eventually. But we're in the meantime. We're in this time between now and when Jesus appears. We shall see him just as he is. And we will be immediately perfect in him. But now we have been given his righteousness. We have been given his purity. We have been made the children of God. And verse 9 says that everyone who has this hope purifies himself just as he is pure. None of us is perfectly pure, and we won't be until Jesus totally purifies us at the end of time. 
But children of God are known for what? Sin? No. They're known for living good lives. They're known for purity. Moral purity. By contrast, John says there's the devil and his offspring. And they are sinners. They sin continuously. Look at verse 8. The one who does what is sinful is of the devil. Because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. So the identifying characteristic of the devil and his offspring is sin. The identifying characteristic here of God and his offspring is purity or righteousness. And when we live in sin, when we continue in sin, we are not reflecting God's behavior, but the devil's. And something is wrong. If you are a child of God, that should not be the characteristic of your life. If God's seed is truly in us, then we have been truly born of God. And we cannot go on sinning. Now you may sin. And you may sin occasionally. You may sin once a day sometimes. You may sin once a week sometimes. But you will not continue in sin. It will not become your practice, your lifestyle. And so I want to ask you this morning, ask me this morning, is there habitual sin in our lives? Is there something that just keeps coming back every day? Something that we feel like we're under the, the uh, uh, burden and we're enslaved to it. We are imprisoned by it. That needs to be broken. That needs, by the power of God, to be taken away from our life. Because if you are a child of God, you have no reason to keep living there. You have no reason to keep living that way. God has given you the power to break free. And you are free in Christ of that sin. You need to figure that out. And you need to get it straight in your life. You need to renounce that sin. You need to repent of that sin. And begin walking in the purity that Jesus has given you as a child of God. For that's how God's children live. Purity is our identifying characteristic. Remember back to the opening uh, of this letter. Chapter 1, verses 7 through 9. And this is instructive again. This is what John said there. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus his Son purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves. The truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Back here in chapter 3, verse 9, he simply says this. No one who is born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in him. He cannot go on sinning because he has been born of God. So this is the first identifying characteristic John talks about here. If we have been truly born of God, we can never be content to just go on sinning. If you have kind of like gotten into this rut, you've gotten into this routine of Falling prey to sin again, not even battling, not even desiring for something better than that, you are denying that you are a child of God. You're denying the truth of your relationship with God. And this needs to be stopped. Before we experienced the new birth in Christ, it was our nature to sin. But now that we have been born again, sin is against our nature. Sin is against who we are. A child of God lives in purity, not in sin. Second characteristic, starting in verse 11, that we love other people 
and we love them sacrificially. Let's go to chapter 3, verse 11. This is the message you have heard from the beginning. We should love one another. Do not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, my brothers, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love our brothers. Anyone who does not love remains in death. Anyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life in him. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. We should love one another the way that Jesus loved us. This is the definition of love. This is the description. This is the portrayal. This is the epitome of love that Jesus, God's Son, came to earth and gave his very life for us. We must not be like Cain, who envied his brother, who resented his brother's sacrifice. He nursed a grudge against his brother until finally his anger got the best of him and he killed his brother. Those who are in bondage to sin do not, in fact, cannot love as the children of God love. In fact, their pride and their self-centeredness makes them look more like Cain who belonged to the evil one, John says. He gave himself over to that because he wanted to hold on to his own pride. He wanted to hold on to his own self-centeredness. And eventually his self-centeredness and pride led him to murder his brother, Abel. We know what love is. We see his love in Jesus Christ. And what did he do in Christ? He lavished his love on us. And he gave up his very life on our behalf. Jesus' love was sacrificial love. The love we are talking about. Laying down our lives. Laying down our, our wishes, our desires, our dreams. And perhaps our very physical lives. Show that the love of God is filling us. And we are his children. So John's saying, don't just say that you love people. Don't stand here in church, you know, and sing songs about loving others and loving God and so on and then go out and live any way you want and hate other people. Sacrificial love is shown by its actions. It's shown by the things that you do to help other people. It's shown by the things that you share of the things that God has given to you. And that's how you show that you're God's child. You are generous. You are, you are uh, you know, full of good works and a desire to help other people. And I think you understand that. So summary here, first two, first thing is to be pure in your lifestyle, not living in sin. Secondly, is to have this uncommon, this sacrificial love that the world kind of stands back and their mouth drops open and they say, you did that? You, you, you sacrificed like that? You gave like that? You denied yourself like that? And it is something that captures the attention of the world. Every Christian, every child of God is to be characterized by this purity and by this kind of love. And then thirdly, John says, we need to believe in, we need to live for Jesus. 
He wraps up his comments in starting with verse 19 of chapter 3. This is how we know that we belong to the truth, and how we set our hearts at rest in His presence whenever our hearts condemn us. For God is greater than our hearts, and He knows everything. Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God, and we receive from Him anything we ask because we obey His commands and do what pleases Him. And this is His command, to believe in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as He commanded us. Those who obey His commands live in Him and He in them. And this is how we know that He lives in us. We know it by the Spirit that He gave us. Notice the way I've grouped the verses together. If you have your NIV Bible, um, or even other translations, you'll see maybe the paragraphs are divided up a little differently. In my NIV, it goes through verse 20, and then a new paragraph with, starts with verse 21. But I think that that's a misunderstanding what John is saying here. Because he's saying here at the beginning, in the 18 and, or 19 and 20, uh, that, that there's one situation where your heart condemns you. You know better than what you're doing. Your heart is, your conscience is saying, what you're doing is not right. This is not the right place to be. And if you get condemned like that, all you can is acknowledge that God knows. God knows all things. He, he knows me. He knows where I am. And you, you acknowledge this. Is, that's what confession is, is acknowledging where you are, what you're doing, where, where you were caught still living in some kind of a sin. But then he goes on with verse 21. He says, if our hearts do not condemn us, then we can have confidence before God as his beloved child. And so I think the two have to stay together. You might be in a position of condemnation. You might be in a position where God is calling you to account and saying the way you're living is not right, so let's get it right. Or you may be in a position, hopefully, all of us are in this position, where our heart is not condemning us and we can now grow in confidence. We can now grow in boldness that we are living for God and we are showing that we are God's children. John says that God's command is to believe in his son Jesus Christ and to love other people. John says this is how we can identify the one who keeps God's commands, that they live in him and he lives in them. And we know this because God's spirit is evident in their life that he is living through them. So Jesus... Going back to the beginning is the vine, and we are the branches. If we want to be able to produce fruit for him, the, the task that we have, the responsibility we have, is to stay in the vine, to abide in the vine, to remain in the vine, to put our hope and our trust in the vine. And then the vine can send his, his life through us, and the fruit results because of that relationship. If we're going to look like God's children, we need to behave as God behaves. We need to act the way God acts. We need to love as God loves. So do we look like our Father, after all? You know, Jesus, I think, did. We don't even know what Jesus looked like. Nobody made a sketch. Nobody painted a painting. A lot of ours have tried since then, but nobody knows really what he looked like. But notice that Jesus was not attractive, at least not in his appearance. People didn't say, wow, look how handsome Jesus is. He must be the Son of God. 
They weren't attracted to him. In fact, Isaiah 53, one of the Old Testament prophecies about Jesus says, he had no beauty. He had no majesty that would attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that should make us desire him. I think Jesus in his earthly body was about as plain a man as it could be. There just wasn't anything about him that said, wow, I wonder who that neat looking guy is. I wonder who that, that fine looking person is. And, and nobody was you know, clamoring to Jesus for his physical looks. But it was his actions. It was his demeanor. It was his attitude. It was his personality that were so attractive to people. These were all very winsome. People wanted to be around Jesus. People wanted to be with Jesus. Simply because he loved them so much. And he, he was helping them to understand and helping them to see God. And there was, there was something in his life that was mesmerizing. Not his appearance, but his actions and his attitudes. He lived in such a way that people left wanting to know God more. Can we get there? Can we have a life that is lived that way? How attractive can we be? You know, we spend a lot of time with makeup and hair things and, and clothing and all the appearance parts of this, and maybe hours of that are spent weekly or even daily to make ourselves more attractive to people around us. How much more time should we spend on the attitudes and the demeanor and the, and the actions and the love and the purity? And when these things are in our lives, that's where the attractiveness is. That's where the winsomeness is. That's where people are drawn. What do you have that I don't have? What is it about you that wants me to hang out with you more? What is it that makes me feel better about myself after I leave you and a desire to know God more because I know you? One of my preacher friends was telling me in a preacher's meeting this week about a man who had recently started coming to their church. And he says, I was really surprised to see him coming. His wife was a brand new believer, a brand new Christian, and he's an atheist. But he's coming week after week. He even comes to our small groups sometimes. He says, I, I'm amazed. This guy doesn't believe this stuff. He's you know, openly atheistic, but he's there. And he finally told me the reason he's there is he promised his wife he would come. He's going to keep that promise out of you know, respect to her and that promise. He keeps coming and keeps coming. Now it's been a couple of months that he's been coming to church, coming to their small group on occasion. And he continued to come just to please his wife. But the other day, he pulled my preacher friend aside. And he said, you know what? He said, I came for her. But now I'm coming for me. Because there's something about you people. There's something that you have that I don't. And I, I thought that I have it all together, but I'm missing something. What is, what is it I'm missing? I don't know for sure. But I want it. And I need it. And so he's hanging in there. I, I think it's only going to be a matter of time, don't you, before he surrenders his life to Christ? And the desire is there. The, the hunger is there. It's, he said, you know, this is a palpable hunger. This guy's coming. And, you know, he's engaged. He's listening. He's trying to absorb and, and observe everything. Because he knows something in his life is not right. And the Christians that he has met 
have it right. It's not that their lives are perfect. It's not that they have all the answers. None of that. It's that they have something he doesn't. And what they have is their relationship with God through Jesus Christ. People became become known uh, for a lot of different things. You look through the Bible and you see that. You see Noah, known as a righteous man in a very wicked or evil age. You see David, known as a man after God's own heart, right? And you see Peter, known as the outspoken disciple, putting his foot in his mouth all the time. And you see John as the disciple whom Jesus loved. You know, he gave his own characterization that way in the Gospel of John. And Andrew, Andrew, what is he known for? Andrew is known for bringing people to Jesus, isn't he? You see it over and over again. First person Andrew brought to Jesus was his brother Peter. And as soon as Peter joins the group, he became the spokesperson for the twelve. Not Andrew. Andrew moved to the background. Well, maybe he was always, always there. And it was, it was Peter, his brother, not Andrew, who rose to prominence as one of Jesus' inner circle of three. Peter, James, and John. Andrew, not in there. Over and over again, those three are pulled aside by Jesus. Andrew's left off to the side. And we do not read of Andrew resenting Peter for this. It seems he was satisfied to bring others to Jesus and just leave the results with Jesus. It's not surprising when Jesus has 5,000 and more people that have been listening to him and they're all growing hungry and there's no food in that place and Jesus says, we've got to feed these people. And Andrew shows up with this little boy. He's found a boy in the crowd that has loaves and fishes. And Jesus takes that boy's lunch and he feeds everybody. It's later on, Andrew, who brings the Greeks, the Gentiles, to Jesus. Even though they're despised by the pious Jews around them, Andrew's the guy that found these Gentiles and brings them to Jesus. He doesn't give them everything. He just says, uh, you need to meet Jesus. And he brings them over, John 12. There is no record of Andrew ever preaching a sermon, ever performing a miracle, ever writing a book of Scripture. He just remembered for those that he brought to Jesus. And so he is a good role model for us. You may never preach a sermon. You may never write a book that others marvel at. You may never perform a miracle for God as you define miracle. But he's a good role model, isn't he, Andrew? <laughs> Our job is not to transform people. Our job is not to make people Christians, nor to convict them of their sin. It's not a responsibility to make people do what they need to do. Our task is simply to bring them to Jesus. And he will perform in their lives whatever he wants to do. Yeah, that's his business. So Andrew got it. He got what it means to be a child of God. A follower of Christ. He believed in Jesus and he lived for Jesus. And it was evident in the purity of his lifestyle and of his deep love for other people that Andrew was God's child. All he ever wanted was for people to come to know Jesus. So are you an Andrew? Am I? That's our job. To be the children of God. To be the people of God. To be people that look like God. Who act like God who are attractive in their attitudes and their actions like God, like Jesus. 
Perhaps the greatest truth you need to know today is that God is love. Do you know how much God loves you? You know, I, I'm, I'm thinking of Christians, first of all, we've got to be like Andrew. We've got to be the children of God. But what if you're not a Christian here today and say, you know, that's, that's the next step. But right now, I'm back here. Do you know how much God loves you? Do you have any idea? Think of that lavishing of love that God calls us, calls us His children, calls you His son or His daughter. Understanding that God is love, understanding this truth in its fullness will set you free. Just, just change everything for your life. Because maybe you haven't felt very loved. Maybe you have not experienced love at that level. But if you do begin to understand, you can experience the fullness that God has in mind. You can experience this, this dream, this vision that God has for your life. But you must first accept that God loves you. Do you? Do you know that? You know, if you grew up experiencing unconditional love in your family, it may not be hard for you to imagine that. But if you didn't, this may be a huge, huge hurdle for you. I've never been loved like that. How, how could God love me that way? I want to assure you that He does. And He's reaching out to you with a love that says, I'll show you how much I love you. His name is Jesus. And He went to a cross for you. And He suffered like no one has ever suffered before so that you can break free. So you can be free and experience God's love. God loves you not because you deserve His love. None of us do. But because His very nature is love. He just pours on the love because that's who He is. And He loves us in spite of ourselves. He loves us in spite of our failings, in spite of our sins. You are loved because you are His child. Whether you're behaving like His child right now or not. If you are a child of God, God still loves you. And if you're not yet a child of God, you have not yet put your faith in Jesus, you have not received what He's offering you, forgiveness of sins and eternal life with Him someday, He still pours on that love for you. And you may reject that love. You may say, God, I don't want your love. I'm going to hang on to myself through eternity. And God will keep right on loving you. Even as you leave. And as you go to the judgment that awaits us without Christ. But if you will accept God's love, you will be able to return love to God as well as give it to others. John has written throughout this letter for the writers, uh, the readers of his letter to understand that they are secure in God's love, that they can be assured of their salvation because of their faith in Jesus because of what Jesus has done it's not up to what they did it's what Jesus has done and today I want to offer to all of you if you're not a Christian that God loves you and that God has already paid the price for you to be forgiven and that God has already paved the way for you to live the life that he wants you to live it doesn't have anything to do with what you've done up till now it has to do with whether or not you accept Jesus as your Savior, and as you will accept Him 
as the Lord, the leader of your life? Will you surrender to Jesus today? That's what it's about. And that's where it begins. We're going to sing a song in a few minutes about our good, good Father. One of our newer songs, a beautiful song, talks about who God is and who we are if we know God. And if you have a decision you want to make to follow Christ, we're going to give you the opportunity to do that. Let's pray together, and then we'll sing. Father, um, <clears throat> we are here today to acknowledge where we are. Maybe our hearts are condemning us. Our conscience is stricken today, either as a believer or not yet a believer, and we need to get things right with you. I pray that that will happen in these next few minutes, maybe even right now. Maybe, Lord, our hearts do not condemn us, that our desire is for you. We know that we slip up, that we sin occasionally, but that we really want to be your children. We want to live in purity, not sin. And we want to uh, be able to uh, follow you in love, just to love you, to love others as you have loved us first. That's our desire. We want to believe in you. We want to live for you. We want to abide in you. That's what our hearts are saying today, Lord. Just cement us in that. Assure us of that. Give us boldness and confidence to live as we should for you. And help us to show others that we're your children. Help us to be attractive in our attitudes first, in our expressions and actions of love that uh, just show people who we belong to, that our life is not about us, it's about you. And Lord, if there's someone here today that has never received what you're offering them in Jesus, may they receive that today. May they receive him. May they put their faith in him. May they be obedient to him all the days of their lives. May Jesus be lifted up in their lives. May they abide in him and serve him. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.